Pod save the Queen! Hello and welcome back to Pod Save the Queen. I'm your host Anne Griffith and today is Princess Charlotte's birthday. Um, We won't sing for you because I'm not sure our voices are quite up to it. And after the lovely music we have at the start of our podcast, it would be a shame to spoil it. Um, So today's episode, since it's Charlotte's birthday, we are going to talk about the Little Royals. Uh, the ones that have already arrived, uh, the Little Cambridges, and the one that we are waiting for, um, the Baby Sussex, which has still not arrived as we are recording this at half past ten on Thursday morning, London time. And um, actually also later on we have a special interview with uh, Norland nanny expert uh, Louise Heron, which um, Zoe Forsey, one of my uh, colleagues who's here with us today, did a little earlier in the week. Hello Zoe. Hello there. And um, the uh, the breathing that you can hear down the phone are, uh, is our friend <laughs> Russell Myers, who is out <laughs> out and about in Windsor this morning at at the uh, well the scene of the action at some stage in the future we expect. But um, everybody is just waiting at the moment, Russell, aren't they? I know we are live in Windsor. There's a lot of a uh, lot of journalists, a lot of the world's media have descended upon Windsor. A lot of royal fans keep coming up and talking to us for any nugget of information. But unfortunately, I'm as clueless as the rest of us about uh, when the baby Sussex will arrive. But we believe it is any moment now. It might even be why we're recording the podcast. So wait and see well if it arrives during the podcast i really hope they name the baby after me i'm just calling dibs on that right now um i mean so when the announcement came out yesterday that prince harry will be going to uh to the netherlands next week to amsterdam and the hague for an invictus visit essentially to count down one year to the games i thought oh maybe that means well that either means she's already had the baby or maybe she's just really overdue and she's like a week overdue so she'll definitely have had the baby by the end of next week so he'll be fine to go to off on his trip but equally it's just like the baby will have only just arrived what is he doing what was i know this this is a complete heart stopper uh you know not only to receive the alert on everyone's phone that there's an announcement from buckingham palace everyone goes in sort of panic mode whenever the phones or the email ping goes off but uh so yeah he's so he's going to uh the uh, the Hague and Amsterdam next week, which means that the baby must be imminent. Obviously, there's a lot of conspiracy theories say, theorists saying that maybe even the baby's here, but I have been assured that that isn't the case. However, as I understand it, that Megan is about a week overdue now, or that will be coming up to a week overdue just by the weekend. So we can safely presume, I think, that if nature hasn't taken its course, maybe she will be induced and maybe we'll see a baby at the weekend, which then would allow for them to to do the sort of posed up photos that they said they were going to do sort of two or three days after the birth. And then Harry will be whisking his way to Amsterdam. However, uh, Buckingham Palace have said that if it is sort of, you know, that time frame doesn't allow it. If Meghan has literally just had the baby, then he probably will cancel at a moment's notice. So it's all to play for. And I guess if need be, he could just make a very quick trip just to do the Invictus bit. And rather than having a, was it a two day trip at the moment and just sort of go in and out in a day and, and do that y- bit. Y- 
Yeah. So there's one engagement on the Wednesday, which hasn't been announced at um, as yet. Uh, and then he will be do- going, that's in Amsterdam, then he will be going to The Hague on the Thursday to do the sort of one year countdown to Invictus 2020, which will be in The Hague. Um, you know, Buckingham Palace has said he's really keen to do this. This is obviously Harry's other baby, his major project, isn't it? So uh, he, he's obviously very, very keen to go. However, I don't think anyone's going to mind too much or definitely cut him some slack on this occasion. But, you know, it shows how dedicated to the cause he is. Um, so- Although you did have another little theory about why he might be wanting to go to the Netherlands next week. <laughs> well, it's, I think, you know, it is the, the party capital of Europe, isn't it? So, uh, and my other thing is that he's an Arsenal fan. And Tottenham are playing on the Wednesday against Ajax, which is obviously the team in Amsterdam. So maybe he will be supporting Ajax because Tottenham and Arsenal are bitter rivals. So, I mean, that is based on absolutely no intelligence whatsoever. So, <laughs> I think it's based on the fact that you'd quite like to go watch that football match, isn't it? Because it should be. I mean, listen, I'm up for going to Amsterdam. I have offered my services <laughs> willingly. Help him wet the baby's head should the baby of have course. arrived already. Yeah. Um, of course. So what is the what what is the kind of discussion down on the ground at the moment? So as I I obviously spoke to Buckingham Palace constantly this week but definitely yesterday there's been loads of you know whether wild theories about whether Megan has had the baby we're getting constant you know tips from uh, people ringing in saying I think I've seen an ambulance outside uh, Frogmore Cottage or in Windsor or there's outriders going through West London maybe she's having the baby at Kensington Chelsea Hospital so listen, we're not checking every single one of these out because I think people are getting a bit excited but we have been assured that Megan is still at Frogmore Cottage she's still going through the motion and I think that, um, you know, they're just going to try and let nature take its course. But if she does get into the realms of being sort of a week overdue, I think we've spoken about this before, haven't we, about she is sort of on the uh, sort of old, despite her being very, very fit and healthy, she's on the older side of being a first-time mum. So medically speaking, and I'm not a doctor, but I have spoken to some doctors, and they've said that they will probably let her go a week, maybe just a little over before she would be induced. So my theory is, if she's around a week um, overdue, but maybe by Friday at the weekend, then they, they might let her go to the weekend and then possibly induce her. But even then, you know, speaking to ladies who have been induced, you might be waiting a couple of days after. So we might be even into next week before we see the arrival of baby Sussex. So Oh, it'll be interesting to see whether in a week's time when we are recording again, whether we are still on baby watch or whether <laughs> oh, we are on gosh. baby arrival. I nerves can take it, to be honest. Well, I mean, you, went, you had a special delivery this morning to uh, try and hurry things along a little. Oh, yeah. So uh, we do a little bit of a tie in with one of our uh, broadcast partners and we had a, uh, a theory that um, hot curry can sometimes bring on a, a, a birth. So I volunteered to go down to the Royal Tandoori close by to Windsor and pick up a veggie vindaloo, which I will promise to deliver to Frogmore Cottage, whether it, it is received with thanks, I'll, uh, I'll let you know later. But um, hopefully I can get the, I can bring on a miracle because there's lots of people waiting for news and lots of people waiting to, uh, to welcome the baby. And having, um, I mean, we're all kind of waiting for the baby in the office. So he's writing frantically about it, you know, before it's even arrived. And I mean, I've, I've been in the office for two out of the three little Cambridge 
Selfridges arriving. Um, I can remember when Princess Charlotte was born, I was at a football match. She arrived on a Saturday and I thought, oh, they'll be having a busy day in the office. Um, and I'm working this weekend. So well, this is my theory because I am going to a football match on Saturday and this will be, I've literally been on call for three weeks now and I definitely think it's going to happen on Saturday. But luckily, the football match is just around the corner from the office. So I imagine I'll be getting a very panicked call whilst I'm in a packed stadium full of people that I'll then have to jump on the tube and hot foot it to the office. But who knows? Which game are you going to be at, Russ? Just so we can get in touch and put it over the tannoy if we need to. We're going to be at West Ham versus the mighty Southampton. So uh, it is in East London. So it's just a hot, a short hop over the road to the office. So oh wow, wait and see. We'll see whether we are rejoined the three of us at the weekend to uh, to write all about it. Um, one other thing about um, the Sussexes before we move on to talk about um, the birthday girl. Mm. Um, they their Instagram account has obviously caused a huge amount of discussion since it was launched and the latest point of discussion that they've raised is how they have unfollowed various accounts and are now only following causes. Yeah, this was pretty interesting actually. I can't remember what day it was, but it was during the week that they put out a post at 10 to 12 at night, which was about uh, mental health week in America. So, I mean, it's, it's a lot of these posts are being tailored for the American market. Um, and this one was, you know, right on message for that. I think this week is mental health awareness week in the States and next week it's mental health awareness week in the UK. Um, so as, as a slightly different tact uh, they've unfollowed all the sort of royal accounts that they were following and then they've chosen i think it's is it 16 organizations that they're supporting over the next month and this is again it's very very different isn't it it's um it's to do with hold up i've just got an alert on my phone I'm just gonna go is it the baby is it the baby <laughs> you imagine if it is no it isn't it's about and it's embargo, so I can't even tell you what it is. Oh, you tease. You tease. What time's it embargoed till? I mean, the, the podcast's not going to be out for a little bit. Oh, God, no, it's not. I can't even tell you what it is. So it's going to be for another week it's embargoed for. Oh. Maybe, maybe next week this will be the big exclusive. Well, there you go. That's a good talking point for next week. <laughs> oh, well, I, I would look forward to catching you off air later, Russell, to find out what it is. Sorry, sorry, listeners, but we will. I'm sure we will be talking about it just as, just as soon as we can. Um, um, so, yeah, back to Instagram. So Instagram, they are tailoring a lot of these um, posts for the American market. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's something that we, we have to, 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 to get used to, I think. She's fiercely proud of her American roots. She wants to help uh, certain organizations in America. She wants to use her royal status. And we know that Megan has been really influential in dealing with the Instagram posts because, She's sitting at Frogmore waiting for the baby to come. So she's probably just um, utilising her time. But and she obviously used to have her own Instagram account, which was pretty, you know, well followed. So yes. she knows how she to use it. And she knows how to, you know, use the powers of social media. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to really watch with interest to see what they do with, uh, with, with the Instagram page and how they utilise it and, and, and what charities they do support. Um, so, yeah, watch this space. And they, I mean, they used it quite powerfully um, a couple of weeks ago to sort of uh, ask 
their their fans to um, donate rather than send gifts for the baby. They said, you know, support support the charities that we care about and raised you know a huge amount of money very quickly. Really, yeah, and and the charities that they did sort of do this um, uh, big call to say in. Um, in lieu of gifts sending to the baby, we'd like you to, to donate to these charities. And, and the charities have chosen by them have, you know, re- reported record amounts being donated in that amount of time, which is, you know, an un- undeniable advantage of the power of these two. Um, Megan's not probably entirely bored at Frogmore Cottage, aside from having all of the, you know, baby preparation and probably just get, getting up to pee at very regular <laughs> intervals. But she's had a few visitors in as well. Yeah, well, her mum has been with them since, uh, I think, the 16th of April. So she's been there over two weeks now. So she's settling into life at Frogmore. Um, They had the Cambridges come over for a cup of tea um, on Easter Sunday. And then the Queen has popped over in the last week as well, because obviously they want to show off their brand new home that's been all done up for them. Um, And they've, you know, they've only been in there in a couple of weeks. And Megan hasn't been seen out and about. She didn't go to the Anzac Day service that Harry and Kate went to and she didn't attend Easter Sunday because obviously she's about to pop but you know um, I'm, I, I, I'd love to see inside Frogmore Cottage myself I'm sure it's been done up very nicely at the cost of three million pounds of taxpayers money but uh, maybe, maybe when I drop the curry off later they'll invite me for a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> oh well here's here's hoping. Um Talking of embargoes, I mean, origin- originally we were we were planning to record this podcast yesterday. Then the Prince Harry news dropped, and everybody was busy. So we thought, okay, well, we'll wait until Thursday. And actually, it was a good thing as well because we, at that stage, we were still waiting for the Princess Charlotte pictures. You know, we were hoping that they were going to be released for her birthday under embargo, obviously, because that's what they what they always do um they tend traditionally the royals um, when they release these pictures to release them via the press association um to the media set an embargo and they tend to be targeted at traditional newspaper print deadlines um, yes so the pictures did come through um taken by mum kate again um they're kind of the ones we're we're used to now really but uh, charlotte looking i mean everyone everyone thinks she looks like different members of the royal family obviously there's been huge rows on twitter about which you know which of her relatives she looks most like kate or the queen of the current so i immediately thought of kate because they're quite active the pictures you know she's sitting on a gate she's running around looking like you know using a daffodil as a magic wand she looks like she's something out of harry potter um and then there's you know the one where she's kind of actually sitting down waiting come on like big grin come on mum, take the picture now i want to go run about again was kind of how i saw them and it, it nice did remind combo, yeah. it reminded me of those ones that we saw of Kate when she was younger where she was always quite active and, and doing yeah, things. Yeah there's the one of her in the really bright jumper that I always think of where she's climbing over something I think she's younger than she's younger than Charlotte is in these but they're really lovely photos and yeah that's exactly what they reminded me of as well. Um, Russell what did you make of the pictures? I liked them and I liked Zoe's spot about the uh, the hand-me-down shoes from George. This has got a lot of traction uh, today because, you know, some of the kids, it's another recycled. I mean, is that a recycled or a hand-me-down? It's both. Hand-me-down. Yeah. Hand-me-down. <laughs> it's both. Yeah, because when they dropped in, they didn't look immediately like, you know, all the other photos have had some sort of hand-me-down jumper in, haven't they? Or in all the other pictures, there's always been something. But this one wasn't quite as obvious. But we were all sitting there looking at it going, there must be something. She always, There's always one item of clothing which is a, yeah, has been 
worn by a big brother. Interesting. Yeah, it's like it's like trying to spot the Osborne duck through the you know the children's <laughs> books that we had with, with little. There was always a yellow Osborne duck on one of the on one of the pages. And is it is it Disney Pixar or there's there's like a thread through all of the films somehow of things that keep reappearing. I think. Yeah. So you know spotting spotting the hidden the hidden signs of uh, of. You know, just a little clue there for the people who are really super eagle-eyed. So if you spotted them like Zoe did, then well done. And if you didn't, then join me in the gang. And it's fine. Just <laughs> thinking, oh, what a pretty dress she's wearing. And she looks like she's having fun. Um, Russell, what do we, well, Russell or Zoe, what do we know at the moment about, you know, Charlotte's Charlotte's life and what she's like as a as a little girl? Well, I think, you know, I, I like these photos because I like to like the ones of Prince Louis, which are also taken by Kate. They're showing that the kids are, you know, pretty rough and tumble uh, kids that like to go and, you know, run around in the fields. Like Louis was covered in moss in one of his photos, wasn't they? Um, they obviously, you know, would get on. We've seen those photos. I think it was at the Polo last year, wasn't it, of, um, of uh, George and Charlotte running through the fields. And then they, they obviously get on very well. This is, you know, a very big year for Charlotte, isn't it? Because she's going to start school at the same school as her brother George in September so undoubtedly she's she's preparing for that and I think you know whenever I've um, been doing engagements with Kate we know she's you know fantastic with little children and seeing them up close with the kids she's she's undoubtedly an amazing mum. And so there's kind of little bits of tidbits of information that we've had um, come out in through various visits and things about, you know, what she likes and and her kind of character, I guess. Are the, are the bits that stick in your mind that have kind of... There was a new one, actually, yes, just yesterday, um, when Kate was on her visit to um, opening a new school, she mentioned that Charlotte really loves to play with slime, um, which, was a, which was a lovely one. And actually, George has got the same thing. I don't know if you remember... Just before Christmas, they were spotted in, um, I think it was the range, and George was apparently going up with a pot of slime and saying, Mum, can I have this? <laughs> so it's obviously something that they, little interests that they share. You know, the little the little pots you get, don't they? Which Yes, and then get stuck to everything. Yeah, I remember my cousins having them stained. and them just being everywhere whenever you, like little pots of it everywhere. So uh, Auntie, Auntie Megan and Uncle Harry might be saying, uh, please don't bring the slime to our new house just yet. And then they'll have their own little one. No hope. So there we go. Um, Amber couldn't join us today, but we did catch up with her briefly yesterday to talk a little bit about the uh, Little Cambridge's fashion. And actually, uh, she pretty perfectly predicted the kind of clothes that Charlotte would be wearing in these really? pictures. <laughs> yeah. So let's just uh, let's just have a quick listen to uh, me and Amber chatting about clothes clothes so russell listen carefully because this is all part of your fashion education so amber i have kidnapped you just for a, a little while to talk about um the little cambridges and their fashion um so we know there's a kate effect and it quickly became clear after the arrival of george that there would also be a kiddie cambridge effect George and his socks. <laughs> Everyone got very excited about George and his socks and his little shorts. His little it's shorts, very cute. Yes, yeah. And it's and it's carried on really. So what, what do we what do we see when it comes to? It's obviously Princess Charlotte's birthday today. Happy birthday, Charlotte! We're probably going to say that multiple times during this podcast, I suspect. But um, yeah, what do we see in the Cambridge children, and how has that carried over into the high street? If it has, well, as you would expect. 
um, Kate does dress her children in a very traditional style. Obviously, Princess Charlotte is the queen of the little smock dress and the cardigan, isn't she? And she always looks very cute. Um, it's not that surprising, is it? Because you would expect her to dress them in quite a formal way. I think what is interesting is how everybody latched onto that instantly overnight from the very first photo. And you had people like George Asda producing range, you know, children's clothing that all featured the little, the smocking, the little Peter Pan collar, all the influences that you, you saw the royal children wearing because there was a huge demand for it all of a sudden. And it's, it is very similar probably to what William and Harry wore when they were little royals. Yeah, I think so. I think and maybe there, there is probably a strong influence of that. Um, it's interesting that obviously a lot of the labels that the children have worn have instantly sold out as well. So she's similar to the, the labels that Kate wears by dressing her children in particular labels. She's made them popular as well because we just seem to want to kind of copy, copy, don't we? Yeah, easy. In- be inspired yes, by. that's right. Um, and so obviously they're small at the moment. At some stage they will develop rather more, I want to wear Yes, this. it's easy in the beginning when they have no opinion and you can make them look really cute. It will be interesting to see <laughs> what happens when they want to dress themselves. Will we see them in a fancy dress? That's what children want to wear, isn't it? Oh yeah, like dre- dressing up as a princess, but maybe you don't need to dress up <laughs> as a princess when you maybe are more dinosaurs and Excellent. fairies. Oh, I, I hope Charlotte is having a fancy dress birthday party today. That would be amazing. <laughs> I'm sure they would all be very well dressed. Um, thank you, Amber. Showing insights, and we'll catch up again very soon, I'm sure. So, um, that's our that's our fashion hit for today. Let's talk now about uh, the nanny situation. We talked a couple of weeks ago about what it might even have been last week. I'm losing track. We're talking about the royal baby so often. I'm already in a haze. Um, about you know the the Meghan and Harry might be going a different route for their um for their nanny, but. Charlotte and George and Louis are looked after by a Norland nanny. And Zoe, you caught up earlier in the week um, with a Norland nanny expert called Louise Heron. So what did, what kind of things were you talking about? Yeah, so the Cambridge children have um, Nanny Maria who looks after them. We've seen her out and about on a few occasions. She wears the very traditional uniform, which we've seen, um, at, I think it was a church service um, a few years ago now. Um, but... Yeah, I had a quick chat with Louise about their involvement in children's birthday parties. Um, obviously, we don't know the specifics about what the Cambridge children or what Charlotte might be up to today. But speaking generally about the role that Norland nannies have when it comes to organising birthday parties for, for children in their care. And it's really interesting, actually. They sound like, well, unsurprisingly, very lovely occasions, but very lots of interesting details. Oh, probably still with slime, though, I'd imagine. Yeah, I hope so. Still, still some jelly and ice cream and... <laughs> okay, well, uh, listeners, uh, there's our, our interview now with uh, Louise for you to enjoy. Hello, everyone, um, and welcome to Louise. Uh, thank you for joining Pod Save the Queen. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you, Zoe. So you are very kindly agreed to come on and chat with us about Norlin and Norlin nannies. Um, so first off, can you just tell us a little bit about the about the college itself? Um, yes, Norland College is the world's first, oldest and best nanny training college there is. Um, they started back in 1892 as the brilliant idea of a lady called Emily Ward, um, and she was out to train um, 
very well-educated young ladies um, to raise the nation's children. Um, they've been going now 127 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and they, yeah, yeah, they still train um, the world's very best nannies. Okay. Oh, fantastic. So the Cambridges have a nanny from the college, don't they? Yes, they do. They have Nanny Maria, who I believe trained in the 1990s, but you might want to check that. <laughs> no, it's funny, yeah, because we've seen her out and about a few occasions, haven't we, wearing her traditional uniform. She was there at, um, I think it was the uh, Charlotte's Christening, wasn't she? So you kind of see her in the background at a few times. So um, Yes, the yeah. Norland nannies wear a very distinctive brown uniform. So any of the um, photographs that the press have taken of Nanny Maria, um, your spots are in the background. Yes, <laughs> there was the lovely ones I think we saw as well of, through the um, when one of the five paths was happening and you could see them, George and Charlotte, through the window and she was holding them up, which was lovely. Um, but yes, so obviously we don't know about... Uh, Maria's kind of life with the Cambridge children but talking more generally and we're obviously focusing today because it's a very special day um, about royal children's birthday parties Um, so I was wondering if you might be able to tell us a little bit about kind of how um, royal royal birthday parties maybe in the past or how nannies might you know be involved in in birthday parties at this level. Going way back to the beginning of the British nanny and the fame of the British nanny. I mean, back at the beginning of the 20th century, 1900, 1910, um, British nannies were spread across Europe and were working for the many of the royal households um, right into Russia and the Romanovs, the imperial family. And birthday parties at that point were quite lavish affairs for high society children. Um, Nanny would organize it, um, and that is the chief nanny in the nursery because there would be a range of nannies under her. Okay. Um, So, yes, there was very much a hierarchy within the nursery, um, depending on the status of the royal child. And nanny would have possibly two or three under nannies. Um, There'd be nursery maids. But chief nanny, um, she would organize the party, discuss with the child what it was they wanted to do and then go from there. But very much the parties in, you know, over a hundred years ago, parties were also part of a status symbol. <laughs> um, so there was a little bit of competition between nannies as to who'd organised the best Oh, parties. really? Yes, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, head nanny in the nursery might then send instructions to the royal kitchens as to what kind of cakes, what food they wanted at the party, um, when it would be, how many children were attending. Um, and then apart from just the children attending the party, and obviously that is down to royal protocol as to who was invited, um, children would have friends invited, but then after all, many of their friends were children within other royal nurseries. So, it was a bit of a closed circuit to some okay. extent. Yeah, so not kind of an um, invite to everyone in the class type. <laughs> yes, yes. But I have um, I have read um, historical accounts of children, royal children, who were playing with servants' children in in, in the royal gardens, that kind of thing. Because other, oh, okay. other members of the household would bring their children to work with them. Hmm. Um, so children might make friendships that way. Um, and those children would also be invited. 
which uh, I can uh, I can only imagine might cause some consternation with some people, but with others, you know, amongst the children, it didn't matter. They were all friends. Yeah. Um, but the kitchens would prepare the food. Um, Nanny would organise what games were being played and who was invited. Um, and then it was very much down to a very good scrubbing and everybody being put in their best dresses <laughs> and outfits. Um, and also, you know, for children, if if Nanny's organising the party, that's one thing because obviously everybody comes to her household and they would choose a room in the house where that would be held. Um, I've read accounts in the... Um, Russian imperial family of that being quite lavish rooms chosen for children's birthday parties but sometimes it would just be held in the nursery um, so from there you know a whole afternoon of playing a, a nice tea um, and then various nannies coming to collect um, their children and take them home if it was the other way around and you were invited to a high society party um, Nanny would take her charges with her to whichever address um, and deliver them there. Um, and if she was staying, which many did, uh, then you've got a situation where Nanny can't really be seen to go to the servants' hall to wait and have tea and cake with the other servants while the children are having their tea party. Um, she has to be put somewhere else. So you get this situation where the children are having their tea party supervised by the household nannies. Um, and then the visiting nannies are having their own tea party somewhere else. And the servants are having afternoon tea as they would on an everyday working day anyway. So you've got these three tiers of people all having tea and cake, but not together. Okay, so I suppose for the visiting nannies, that was probably quite a nice little couple of hours then, isn't it? Take it in terms of whoever's got the birthday child to host all of them. And they can all kind of have a couple of hours peace and quiet, I guess. (laughs) Um, Peace and quiet. And also an opportunity, if you think about it, being, um, and as all of these were at the time, they were all women, um, it could be seen as quite an isolated way of life. Um, you're on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, annual leave is one month off a year, and that is a month all at once. Oh, gosh. Um, so an opportunity to meet other young women, um, albeit other nannies, but it's an opportunity to just sit and relax and chat Potentially there's some rivalry there because the child I bought today is better dressed than yours, or so <laughs> I think. Um, I can imagine, and this is only imagining because, you know, the accounts I've read, um, you, you get a little bit to know who some of these characters are and you think, oh, I could see you playing one-upmanship. <laughs> but then these are women. I'm talking about women who are 100 years old and I might be doing them a disservice. No, that sounds fantastic. It sounds like they were obviously very, very fun, very fun parties and a lot of um, preparation and things. How much, you know, is there kind of any accounts of how long they would spend organising these parties or how much work would go up, um, you know, into them in the lead up? Uh, When it comes down to how long it took to prepare, um, the historical accounts don't give us much information of that. But when you think that in the wealthier households with quite a number of staff, 
they're all very used to organising this kind of affair. Yes. Um, I can't imagine it would be weeks in the planning. It might, invitations might go out some weeks in advance because you never knew quite where certain children would be. Um, so if you, if a, a particular friend was very important to the birthday child, you might have to organise that with a bit more notice, um, getting them there. But I think probably down to, you know, asking cook you know to prepare a birthday tea that probably wouldn't phase her too much <laughs> other than that no when it comes down to how long the party is i've read accounts of two to three hours i don't think that, you know the child hasn't changed over the last century and a young child's attention span um before they get too full of jelly and cake <laughs> very similar over the last half hundred years so you know there's a limit on how much before children get tired and just get grisly um, yes. and nanny needs to take them home so yeah I, I i haven't read anything that definitely gives us an idea that tea parties were only an hour or much longer um so I could, you know working on how much patience children have i, I would reckon that that is the definition of a tea party is two to three hours yeah that's a nice time anyway isn't it that's the kind of just yeah, the right amount yeah. <laughs> Okay, so, so is there any kind of um, any notes at all about what kind of treats and what food the, the little ones would be tucking into? Um, no, so there's not really. Um, a, a nanny's accounts don't go into describing the birthday cake or anything like that. Gifts that children took. I've read things where they've described the carrying of the gift into the house when you're a, a, a guest arriving and how important it was to hand over the gift first because that was correct manners. Um, but what the gifts were, no. Um, I can only imagine they were small toys. Um, potentially, they might be something that Nanny or one of the under nannies had made, you know, a, a, a knitted something or other, a te- toy or a soft toy or, or even clothing. Oh, that's very um, nice. Yes, yeah, so very personal. I, I, I would imagine that there were, had been quite a lot of thought go into it because, again, the choice of gift reflected on the nanny and the effort the nanny had gone to herself. And that also reflects on the household in general, um, nanny is the representative of the parents. If the parents aren't able to attend, the the effort that went into the gift, the wrapping, the scrubbing and cleaning and dressing of the child, um, that it all represents the household. And we, so however young the child is going to that party, um, if it's a high profile party, then child will be extremely well turned out and the gift will be appropriate. Okay, brilliant. So, so just generally, then more kind of broadly. So, you've obviously said that it is that Norland is the best, the best college in the country um, for people that want to, you know, have picked this as a career path. What what does it take to become, you know, to become a nanny at this level? I've met many Norland nannies over the last fifteen years, either students training at the college. Um, one young woman I can think of who we employed very briefly, Nanny Hannah, who was absolutely superb. Um, and older nannies that I've met across the years of doing research on their history. Um, what it takes, absolute passion for children. And, and that really, they live and breathe children. Um, they understand children. They want to work with children. There's 
never an element of it's just a job, it's not, it's a vocation and a way of life for them. Mm. Um, I think that is the thing that oozes out of every one of the Norlanders that I've met. Ability to keep that passion going after many years of working in childcare practice, um, that is astounding as well um, because I... I'm a parent and there have been times as a parent where you say, oh, please give me a day off, please. <laughs> I've never had that impression for many of the Norlanders I've met. Um, I know that they must get tired, but they don't let it show. Um, and I, Nanny Hannah, who worked with us over the course of one autumn term, she was unflagging. She just kept going. She was brilliant. That's incredible, um, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Um, when, you, when you hear so many parents say, oh, I'm really, really tired. I didn't get any sleep. Um, I you know I've got a job to do and I, it, there isn't time this week for the child. And you know, I understand that. But a, a Norland nanny, they just seem to run on Duracell batteries. They, <laughs> they never flag. Um, so I think passion, passion is the defining feature. And then on top of that is superb training yes and they're trained in kind of a, a huge variety of different subjects and topics aren't they it's not just a case of you know the, the basics of looking after a child they have a full a full range of skills by the time they by the time they leave don't they oh absolutely if you think about it over the course of the 127 years they started out with a three-month course which included learning children's games um a little bit of child paediatric medicine but if you think about it back in 1900 that was relatively rudimentary compared to today um, that was things of how to deal with coughs colds sneezes temperatures that kind of thing and the odd you know, knee or elbow scrape not much more they learned how to cook and do laundry for children um, but if you think about it, the kind of households that the original Norland nannies were going into, very few of them had to do the children's laundry because there was a household laundry that did that for yes. them. <laughs> but it was basic skills. But these were things that were different from other untrained nannies who were entering the field at the time because they were servants who had just gone up the ladder had ended up in the nursery, whereas Norlanders in the late 19th and early 20th centuries were specifically trained. Because of that, they were they were unique. Yes. Um, if you think about the training now, 100-odd years later, um, it involves you know, skid pan driving, um, there's some self-defense, there's quite a lot of pediatric first aid and CPR, uh, they do emotion coaching, which is very much the current principal's um, big topic because you know, mental health issues with children and how children behave um, and helping children to behave nicely. Um, that is very big for her, and she's an academic in that subject. Okay. Um, so the, the curriculum expands. I, Having looked at their history and their curriculum over 120-odd years, it has never contracted. It just keeps expanding and expanding. Okay, so, so how long how long are the students there for now? Obviously, you said it started off as a um, as a three month course. Is that now as the curriculum's obviously grown so much? Is it now a longer a longer training period or training is now a degree course? Oh, okay. Um, yes, and that 
is now a three-year degree, um, and to gain their Northern Diploma, um, they do a fourth year, which is a probationary year, effectively a work placement year. Oh, okay. So it's wow, it's four years in total. That's a that's a really long time, but they must take away so much at the end of it. <laughs> it's thorough. You, you can. You, it really is a thorough course. Yes. Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much uh, for taking some time to talk to us today. Um, really appreciate it. Um, but just very quickly before we go, can you just tell us how you, you know, how you know so much about this, about the college? I have had a 15-year relationship with Norland, um, which began when I produced a television series, Nanny School for Discovery Home and Health. And we spent a year um, filming um, the students at the time. And it was it was a way of doing a childcare series, but doing a childcare series from people who really knew what they were talking about. Um, and since then, I've written one childcare book, which was based on their methods, nothing to do with any of my childcare practice because they're the experts. <laughs> um, but it was based on the um, childcare research that came from the series. And then um, I've got into writing their history because I found them a fascinating um, college uh, with a unique history. Uh, if you think about who Norlin nannies over the years have worked with, and I'm not naming names, um, but Many Norlanders have been in diplomatic, military, political families across the decades. And I found it intriguing what they must have witnessed. So researching and writing their history has been fascinating. Yes, I was going to say, it must be it must be so interesting to, to go through it all. But no, brilliant. That's it. Yeah. Thank you very, very much. Thank you for speaking with us today. Zoe, thanks for um, having that chat with Louise really interesting to hear some of her insights yeah it's really interesting yeah a bit different um listeners if you have ideas for people who you would like us to try and get in touch with and find out a bit more about things then do get in touch at podsavethequeen at trinitymirror.com um but I think our time is done for now and we'll go back onto Royal Baby Watch unless Russell have you had any more notifications on your phone no notifications in the last two minutes one last check oh well right if if it does break today I'm sure we'll be in touch again and we'll be updating the podcast yes I really hope that next time we're all here we are talking about an arrival of baby rather than where is the baby speculation and more what is going on oh no come on we'll be we'll be sad when we're not doing this anymore like the anticip- the anticipation is part of the fun <laughs> surely I mean Megan would probably be like no I'm done I'm done now I am ready for this yeah. baby to come out I can imagine so anyway well as we have been saying for the last couple of weeks Harry and Megan good luck with the next <laughs> the next immediate bit and then obviously there's all of the years to come which which they'll which will be uh, an ongoing uh, joy and challenge I'm sure as they are for any parent but thank you for listening and until next time Pod save the queen 